absolutely wild as Vern Gagne's all-star wrestling goes coast to coast and continent to continent. The greatest wrestlers in the world. He may be an apprentice carpenter, but I guarantee you he is a seasoned ring veteran. I've been hit with bar stools, bar rags, bar maids. I'm talking to you! They're scared that Hulkamania is still running wild. I got a big fat wife and nine kids at home, and I gotta feed them! And take a look at Jesse the body in real life. Open your hand once if you would. You want to see it? <laughs> this is absolutely unbelievable. Totally, completely out of control. He's coming in over the top. Hey, look out! That is the podcast open that everybody's talking about, and rightfully so. It is a kick-ass open, and we are AWA Unleashed. We are a kick-ass podcast dedicated to a kick-ass territory, the American Wrestling Association, which, by the way, we are the preeminent podcast telling the stories and reliving the memories of the American Wrestling Association. My name is Chris Tubbs, and uh, two badass guys. See, I, I have to be nice today. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm being nice. But two badass guys, Mick Karch and Joe Chupik. I, I like them a little bit. I don't like to tell them, but uh, they're they're okay guys in my opinion. Hey guys. Hey. Oh, hi, Chris. Did you say badass or half-assed? I, Fat ass. Oh. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Good deal. I just love the warmth in the air this morning. The camaraderie, the brotherhood. That's yeah, it's something. It's <laughs> something. Hey, we got a fun show. We're going to kind of piggyback off of last week, you guys, where we had a, a no DQ and a, we kind of had a little bit of nonsense at the beginning of the show and we didn't get to all of them. And I apologize because I have a hard time focusing, but we're going to do some more uh, Q and a today. We're going to try and, and get through as many as we can. Uh, before we, we get to that, I do want to take care of some business. Thank you for getting us over 1000 subscribers. Finally, it's about damn time. I don't know what you waited for. If you're going to freeload and watch the show, at least hit the friggin' subscribe button, you freeloaders. Good God. I Do thought we, we hired that, that guy. <laughs> Do we know who that 1,000 per- <laughs> Who that person was? That <laughs> we person? we we do yes we 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 do yes my uh, my thirteen year old wanted to make sure that she was the one thousandth subscriber. Mission then, accomplished. And then she immediately unsubscribed. But we're still over <laughs> one thousand. No, I'm kidding. She she subscribed. See, you can do what my daughter did. Just subscribe. Don't even watch. Like you don't have to watch if you don't want to. But no, seriously, thank you guys for uh, for a thousand. That really helps us because that helps us. In a, in another metric with YouTube. So, I mean, you guys, when we say it, it really is legitimately very important to us to subscribe, comment, review, just anything you can do to help us boost the algorithm. And I feel like that's a big benchmark that we, uh, that we reach. So you guys, Hey, thank, thank you. you. Thank you guys very much. We love each and every one of you. We, we, uh, we really, really do. I want to thank seventh Avenue pizza, great pizza, seventh Avenue pizza.com. Uh, it's getting cooler outside. You want to feed the family, uh, you know, 7th Avenue Pizza right there. And as well, guys, uh, we do have uh, Soda Stick. They are the official merchandising sponsor of uh, AWA Unleashed. I'm going to put the uh, put the gimmick up there. SodaStick.com. Uh, and that's where you go. Promo code Unleashed. You can get your personalized hoodie with your gimmick name in the side. It's great. If you're going to get something uh, just size up because they do run a little bit small, but great way to, to help, you know, 
represent the AWA Unleashed Army. So there we go. There we go, indeed. Did I uh, did I hit everything? You did. You nailed okay. it. All right. Um, before we do get to the uh, the questions, do you want to do the, uh, the the acknowledgments here, Mick? Because I know that these are becoming all too frequent, and I know we we had one, and we as we recorded this, uh, we just got word of a, a another um, unfortunate uh, member of the AWA family alumni that is no longer with us. Yeah, we got two this week, and it's a never-ending thing now. I, I don't know what it is about 2023 in the pro wrestling world, but my God, it's uh, we're, we're doing this pretty much continuously. Um, first one that I would like to acknowledge, uh, one of the greatest women wrestlers of all time, and that is Joyce Grable. Uh, Joyce battled some health issues for a long, long time, managed to kick out at the count of two uh, more than once. And uh, sadly, she she succumbed uh, not that long ago. Um, great, great talent, worldwide recognition, and a terrific lady on top of everything else. So um, condolences to the family and friends and multitudes of fans of Joyce Grable. And as you said, Chris, we're just getting ready to record here, and we get the news about Russ Francis. Uh, losing his life in a plane crash in the Lake Placid area. Uh, Russ, a former tight end with the New England Patriots, and of course uh, wrestled here in the AWA in the 1970s. And there's a picture of Russ right there with uh, Jimmy Snuka in the background. Uh, again, this is just as we're starting to record this, so we don't know all the details. But uh, Russ and his brother uh, Billy both competed in the AWA, and uh, tragic, tragic story. So condolences again. Uh, that seems to be what we're doing here. Um, and there's a, a photo of the late Joyce Grable and myself back at Cauliflower mm -hmm. Alley. And honest to God, what a sweet, sweet gal. So uh, rest in peace, both uh, Joyce and Russ. Sadly becoming a regular spot on unplanned spot. On every show, mm -hmm. um, but hey, they they deserve the tributes that we give yeah. them. Uh, Mick, you hit it on the head about Joyce, one of the all-time greats. The hell, window just a bird just flew into my window. Wow! <laughs> Is uh, that, are, are, are you doing this at US Bank Stadium? I mean, where, where are you going <laughs> to show at? Not sure, but whatever it was, that was a pretty loud thud. Um, in regards to Russ, <laughs> did, did, uh, did the bird sell it? That's the question. Um. Well, he took it, a bump. Did he no, sell? It, it flew away, so it uh, it did not sell. It, it did just not sell. <laughs> but uh, I, I, to Russ, I have worked with them at Super Clash too. They brought him in when we did it at uh, the Cow Palace in San Francisco. He teamed with Snuka, but I remember Russ's debut in the AWA when he. I, I thought he was just another another enhancement talent or, or jobber back in the day. And Mick, I, we talked before you said that it was against Nick Bockwinkle. I thought it was, I could be wrong on that, but you know, the old, the old bean isn't what it used to I be. I hear you I, there. I think it was Nick. And I remember that they, you know, it was kind of the old surprise where Nick and Bobby recognized who it was, but nobody else in the world did. Uh, but they introduced him as Pat Leahy who was a kicker for New England uh, at the time. So, you know, that was Russ's uh, 
foray into the AWA. A uh, great, great talent. So, uh, well, and the thing about that match is he actually beat Nick. I and I remember as a as a kid, I I popped unbelievably because well, I couldn't stand Nick Bockwinkle or Bobby Heenan. So, so hold on, they they brought in a professional football player, and they build him as a kicker. Well, you gotta oh, remember. You gotta remember the time. I mean, wow. out, of all, out of all of the positions. But Chris, wow. I, I wonder honestly how many people that were watching it knew that he was a tight end for the New England Patriots at the time. That's a thing. We're talking uh, mid seventies, maybe seven. I'll stick with mid seventies because yeah. I don't know the exact time. Mm-hmm. There's no internet. You know, whatever, whatever you got off of the, you know, so my, watching NFL football, you know, make you him an offensive NFL lineman or something. He's a kicker. Congratulations. Here comes a kicker. He's going to kick some butt. Well, does, and uh, he did. Does Gary Anderson have your email address? I'm just curious. Well, it, it'd be wide left. No. <laughs> oh, oh, oh wow. my God. Oh, wow. my God. Oh, wow. There you go. Oh anyway, let's that, get into some wrestling. That mock wrestling, yes. Oh my God, that that too soon, Joe. <laughs> yeah. Too soon. It was 15 years ago. You're that right. Is it is soon. still too soon. I'll <laughs> yeah, right. that damn game. Yeah. Ugh, anyway, never forget. Hey, uh, here's for uh, for all of us. Do you believe this is true that Hulk Hogan had better performances in Japan, and why? And do you think other wrestlers perform better there too? This is from Nate Brown. Boy, that's I'll let you guys question. go first. Um, I I would say they probably well Hogan. I know. I mean, I've seen some footage of Hogan in Japan uh, doing some basic wrestling moves and and stuff that he did not do here in the states. I think uh, number one, they're given more time. Uh, a lot of times here, it's on television or what have you. There, there's a kayfabe picture from Japan. Uh, Vern Gagne, <laughs> Nick Bockwinkel, and Ray Stevens. Boy, if, if that would have been released when Vern was around, holy huh. shit. Talk about me costing him millions. No shit. But uh, I think it's a cultural thing, too. Uh, you look at matches with Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen. You know, there's a lot of one-hour broadways in Japan. So it, it's cultural. The people respond to it. And I think the guys just have more freedom, more flexibility mm-hmm. uh, than they do here. Well, Mick, you brought up a great point. In Japan, Hogan was doing wrestling moves, uh, an arm drag, (laughs) very simple, but still a traditional wrestling move that he didn't really do here. A big part of that was for your monster baby face, for this big, huge guy to do an arm drag, to do a basic wrestling move like that, didn't fit into his monster persona here. So Vern didn't want Hogan to be doing that stuff. He wanted the strongman shit out of Hulk Hogan. And you're right. I've seen Hogan's matches in Japan. And I'm like, damn, if he'd have incorporated some of that here, I would have given him, well, and I do give him credit, but he'd have gotten more accolades from me uh, earlier if I'd have seen some of his actual wrestling moves. Yeah, what you can do here in the states and what they, uh, what you can do in Japan, two totally different things. Uh, Japanese wrestling tapes are gold. I'll tell you. And I, I and I do think too that 
when you do it here and your your character, your gimmick, you've got your you know your particular move set. That's what the fans here want. Fans here want more entertainment. They want more wrestling in Japan. And and as you mentioned, Nick, it's a cultural thing. You you change your style because you're there. And it's not that he couldn't do it. I feel like it's because the yeah, fans they wanted more of the Hulkster more than the you know technical drop toe hold you know things like arm drag arm bar things like that. Perfectly stated. Thank you, Nate, for the question. Yeah, yeah. good good question, Nate. Uh, this one is for you guys. How well did you know Tom Zank? Uh, what was he like to deal with? Heard he was pretty temperamental. That is from Lawrence Drury, the uh, the late Tom Zank, who by the way is uh, from Minneapolis. Uh, well, Joe, not technically. I <clears throat> yeah, I, I know Joe had an opportunity to work with uh, with Mr. Zank, as did I. Joe was more of a uh, you know production standpoint, and you know when he was wrestling and so on and so forth. Uh, Tom Tom had his demons. Uh, he was potentially a great wrestler. Um, had the look certainly, and I think the AWA expected a lot more from Tom Zank than they got. Uh, On the overall, I think Tom just had an edge to him. Uh, There was some bitterness. I know a lot of times I heard Tom would complain, uh, wrestlers getting more money than he was making. Uh, So he had kind of a skewed view of of the business. On a personal level, I got along well with Tom, but uh, but there was definitely an edge. Everything you said was spot on, uh, Mick. (coughs) Excuse me. Yeah, I worked with him. Uh, He... Great looking guy. If I'm not mistaken, he was uh, Mr. Minnesota. I believe. Yep. <coughs> Excuse me. At one point, um, uh, he could work well, looked like a million bucks in the ring, but he did, he, he, he had a short temper. And the demons um, were there putting stuff into his body that he, Probably shouldn't have been, but uh, without getting into more detail about that, I think that lent to his being very temperamental. He he could snap mm-hmm. at a moment's notice, uh, but not I, personally. I had no problems with Tom whatsoever. He came in, he did his job, even if he was disgruntled, he would go in and do his promo, uh, and then get off camera and complain a little bit. That's let's, it. let's go to the uh, the next one here, guys. This is for me. Uh, wondering, is Paul Ellering still living in the area? I think he'd be a great guest for the podcast. How about Curtis Axel? Uh, keep up the outstanding work, guys. This is from Shelly Walker. Uh, as for Paul Ellering, I believe he's just north of the metro. Is that right, Mick? Like he's he's in the region, if I'm not mistaken. Like he's he's still in he's still in the area. Maybe the St. Cloud area. Yeah, he he is, and. Uh... Paul would be a great guest. Uh, I, I know there are some restrictions because you've talked to him. There are restrictions in terms of uh, contractual obligations that he's got with WWE. And it's it's one of those that I know based on what you told me, and you can elaborate on this, that he'd love to come on. The problem is when you've got certain contracts that are in place, you can't violate those. So even, even if it was just be like an hour, it's still – you know, out of respect for him, out of respect for everybody, you know, we can, you know, hopefully down the road, we can make that work. 
Well, you know, and, and that's exactly what Paul told me. You know, he's got uh, he's got contractual obligations. He can't violate them up to and including uh, appearing on uh, on a podcast. There's uh, there's precious Paul Ellering in his mm-hmm. AWA days. Uh, I would love to get him on the air. Maybe things will change down the road. But in the meantime, great guy. Very, very funny in a subtle uh, kind of a dry humor mm-hmm. way. Uh, Paul Ellering, a class act. Yeah, and Paul still, um, he's been at a few indie shows in the area because his daughter, Rachel Ellering, yeah. uh, is a wrestler. And uh, he Paul would show up, not not make a big to-do. He would sit in the audience. Of course, some fans recognize him, but he's still out and about, mm-hmm. and he's following his daughter and giving her a hand or however he can from behind the scene. And, and she, she's a really talented, talented wrestler. Very much so. Like I, I really enjoy watching Rachel Ellering work. Uh, as for Curtis Axel, Joe Hennig, I know that we've had conversations about having him, uh, having him on and having him appear at certain events. We haven't been able to, to make it work just because of schedules. Uh, but I know that that's somebody that I feel guys would he would be an absolute delight to have on. And, and I would say that it's, it's very possible that we could end up connecting with him. If not for a podcast, maybe some sort of a, a live event down the road. I mean, it, it's, it's all going to boil down to, to times and semantics details, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I would love to get Joe on the air. Uh, so much to talk about. Uh, you know, the, the thing with Joe is just when you think that he's available, he becomes unavailable. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden you see him on WWE. And, that, and that's a good problem to have for him. Yeah, oh, it is. It is. And in the meantime, I know, you know, talking to uh, his mom that uh, he's in the area, he's doing very well. He's living the life of Riley and yeah. kind of stepping away from the business and, and taking things as he wants to. Uh, but Joe Hennig, you have an absolute invitation anytime. Uh, to be on this podcast, great, great talent, underutilized. Yes, and, uh, we'll get him. We'll get him someday. Hopefully, that'd be a perfect guest to have. I remember when Axelmania was running wild. He was never eliminated from the Royal Rumble, guys. <laughs> no, never eliminated. Nope. I, as a matter of fact, I think he's won because of that by default several yes. Royal Rumbles. Yes. You know, so uh, I, I just man, WWE. Let me say this, and this, this is not being a homer. They missed the boat. He was so organically over. Yep. And it is hard to get that hot on your own. And WWE just pissed it away. Couldn't agree more. Next. Man, Man Axel Mania. That was running wild. Uh, this one is for uh, you, Mick. Uh, I remember a guy who was on SNR a lot and also worked for the AWA T-Show Con. Uh, what was he like to work with? And is he still with us? This is from Sid Vanskoy. T. Joe Khan was a great guy. Um, he did that uh, maniacal gimmick. You know, he, he couldn't speak English very well. Of course, he he stole the SNR logo, the big wooden placard off my set uh, back in, I believe, 1989, 1990. Oh, uh, yeah, there, there he is. There's T. Joe. Uh, sadly, he's no longer with us. And, and Joe, again, I know you had an opportunity to work with T. Joe. Uh, the T. Joe Khan that you saw on television was not the guy behind the scenes. He was, I don't want to say he was moody. He was very quiet, kind of kept to himself. And you never quite knew how to approach T. Joe. You'd talk to him and you'd get short answers. 
and he'd laugh a little bit, but you never got too deep. Yeah. I loved working with him because he just came, did his job, uh, sort of stayed in the background, didn't, uh, didn't cause any uh, waves in the water. Um, what I loved about T. Joe was, like you described, Mick, just quiet, going along, and then he'd get on camera, and he would turn in, he would basically do what Baron would do, go from this mild-mannered person to this, who the hell are you? Yes. And that look, his T. Joe's eyes when he'd be on a... I, just great. I really enjoyed it, and it's very sad that he's no longer with us. Great, great guy. Absolutely. And, you know, you're right. The T. Joe Cons, the Bruiser Brodies of the world that turn on that light switch once the mm -hmm. camera turns on, and a uh, whole different personality. Yep. There, there's no more of those over-the-top characters that legitimately scare you. Like, they come into Stupid. the... Well, yeah, but he's also... But I'm feel born like, with this. That's, I can't do anything about it. You can't turn it off. <laughs> uh, this okay. one is for... Uh, la, 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 la. This is for uh, you guys. Uh, both of you were around in the AWA's waning years. As a longtime fan, it broke my heart to see him go under. I even attended the matches with my dad back in the early 60s. As guys who were there, I'd like to ask you each when you knew the end was inevitable. This is from Ted Jepson. Uh, Joe, why don't you go ahead and go first on this one? So there's actually two events that were the same name that uh, were the end indicators for me. It really, Super Clash 2, well, we were talking about it earlier with uh, when uh, Russ Francis tag teamed with Jimmy Snuka. Uh, there were high hopes for Super Clash 2 at the Cow Palace. Um, Ray the Crippler Stevens was on the card, Russ Francis. And the turnout was not nearly what we were hoping for. That, to me, was the first indication, first strong indication that things were not looking well. But for me, the inevitable final nail in the coffin was Super Clash 3. Uh, December of 1988, uh, Chicago blizzard out, and I we might have had a couple of hundred people show up. I mean, it literally looked like an indie show, and I'm not disparaging indie shows, but this is the AWA, ESPN Championship Wrestling, internationally syndicated all-star wrestling. When you only get a couple of hundred people in the audience, that's not good, but the real kicker were the pay-per-view buys, and it did not do well, and you had a lot of different promotions and promoters involved, and when that tanked, um, that's when I started updating my resume. AWA held on for a couple more years, but that last year in 91 was all replays of old St. Paul Auditorium or Civic Center Minneapolis Auditorium matches. Uh, so after Super Clash 3, might have had about a year and a half of cards running and that was it so you mentioned the last year was mostly the the reruns 
Do you any idea why they ran those reruns? Was it just trying to buy time for a deal to you know to be bought? I mean, any idea why? Because if it's going to go down, then why just put out these old shows? The best analogy I can use is the AWA was on life support, and Vern didn't want to pull the plug yet. Uh, okay. We had all of this content in the can. Uh, we did wraparounds. Uh, Nick and Bischoff, uh, Greg got involved some. Uh, heck, I even think Ralph Strangis might have still been around for a short while in doing some of them. Oh, okay. Um, but it, it, it was just Vern still had the TV. Uh, we had lost ESPN Championship Wrestling by then. Um, that was your Hail Mary. Well, that's what kept the AWA alive in the later years was the money that Vern was getting from ESPN. And when that contract dried up, uh, Vern didn't really have any income coming in from the AWA, no revenue coming in from the AWA. Um, so sadly, yeah, Super Clash 3 was the uh, that final nail in the coffin for me. For me, it was Twin Wars 90. Uh, you bring in Ric Flair returning to his home state, his home city. You bring in Brian Pillman. You got Nikita Koloff. You have a loaded card, which by all rights, especially with Flair coming back, uh, should have filled the St. Paul Civic Center. And they had two, 3,000 people in the building. And I looked around and I just thought to myself, man, this is it. You know, it, it's all over. If Flair can only fill one-eighth or one-ninth of the building, pull the plug. That's That was the nail for me. Yeah, I get it. I get it on the Twin Wars thing, Mick, but uh, the mood in the office mm -hmm. after Super Clash 3, oh. uh, just disappointment. I mean, I, even Vernon Gregg knew that. Uh, we were on life support. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't going to last very much longer. The next one here, guys, from uh, Angie Moskowitz. Are we planning on doing any more uh, live podcasts? Is this a difficult thing to set in motion? It's, it's not difficult in the sense that we've got, like, partnerships and people that are willing to step up. That's, that's not a problem. The issue is more less scheduling, and a lot of that falls on me because of my shoot job, like we had things that were lined up, but there are just certain obligations, you know, that I have to take care of on the personal side outside of the podcast. But I mean, we're planning on doing more. It, it, it's just a matter of getting all of the logistics, but I mean, we, we've got places and people and partners and people, we've got everything ready to go. It's just a matter of putting them all in the pot and stirring it up. And coming out with this, you know, the after dark, you know, recipe. So, I mean, we're, it will happen. It's, it's just a matter of getting it all to line up. And we love doing them. We love that. We do. We do. It's, it's so much fun. It's, yeah. it's not even work. I mean, it's just, you're hanging out and you're just shooting the shit with people. That's all you're doing. That's right. You're, you're talking, uh, you're talking wrestling uh, the way it should be talked about. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll do it. We'll do it again. Yeah, we will. We will. Uh, let's, uh, go to the next one for, uh, for you, Joe. Did you produce TV just at the showboat or did you also work at the Tropicana? That's from Narvel Baker. 
Uh, Narvell, I never made the trip out to the Tropicana. Uh, I started uh, in October of 1985, which, damn, 38 years ago, October 7th. I just thought of that. Holy shit, where does the time go? Um, anyway, uh, never made it out to the Tropicana. I believe we started going to the showboat in Vegas at some point, like summer, maybe fall of of 86. Um, I, I was green when I started with the AWA. So to fly me out to uh, uh, out east uh, to the Tropicana just didn't make a whole bunch of sense for him. I needed to what, get was the was the AWA your first? Was that your first job? Yeah, yeah, twenty okay. years old. Okay. I got hired straight out of broadcast school and uh, started with the AWA. But um, no Tropicana, plenty of trips. <laughs> Uh, out to the showboat, and uh, shall we say there's quite a few stories from from behind the scenes at the showboat hotel, which uh, eh, we'll just might have to save that for an after dark episode. I like that. I I like that. You can show off about the showboat. Uh, <laughs> let's go to the uh, the next one for you, Mick. Uh, we all know you're a Bachwinkle guy, but after Nick retired in the late '80s, who do you think was the best in the business? This comes from Bob Bailey. No, no question. And and I'm taking Bobby Heenan out of the equation. Uh, the best wrestler in the business, Kurt Hennig. Um, Kurt could do it all. I think when he turned heel in the AWA, you got your first glimpse at how good this guy really was. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as a babyface and teaming with Scott Hall, yeah, he was a champ. He was there. Uh, he was popular. Uh, but the wrestling crowd was changing. So, you know, even your homegrown baby faces weren't over as much as they used to be. But that Mr. Perfect persona when he went out east, um, I don't think there's a better in-ring performer. And, and a lot of the guys in the business will tell you that. Kurt bumped his ass off for people. Uh, he was, And a lot of people will say he was the master of the oversell. Uh, you look at some uh, Kurt Hennig videos, and my God, the guy is, it's like a ping pong ball bouncing off of bricks. Um, and it cost him, you know, Kurt had a very bad back injury for a long, long time, but, uh, I don't think it, you know, if you look at wrestling history, I don't think there's anything better or any one better than Kurt Hennig mm -hmm. in the 1980s. Nick, I got to agree with Mick. I've got to agree with you on that one. He, the transformation when he went from baby face to heel was more than just that turn just everything about him. He went from this pudgy, soft-looking young man to this perfect wrestler. I mean, yeah. it, it, it felt like it was overnight. Of course, it wasn't. But when at Super Clash 2, when with the whole roll of dimes and Zabisco, that was the perfect coming out. There we go. Kurt Hennig as a bad guy, it works. Like the oh. the the attitude, the body. I think it's the body language is what really it it set him apart because you can pretend to be a bad guy, but your body and the way that you you know you act, it says something different. But Kurt Hennig as a villain, it just it all came together perfectly. And yeah, no no pun intended, but man. That was that was it. That was you it. know when they when he first came in and they were doing the vignettes, 
you know, the old Mr. Perfect, you know, catching his own, his own touchdown pass or, you know, <laughs> shooting from three-point range. Yeah. It was kind of a cutesy, you know, part to that. But then as he developed that Mr. Perfect character mm-hmm. and he developed that edge, that heel edge, nobody better. Can I, can I say one thing about Mr. Perfect, though? When he – I was wondering, in WWE, after the first time that he lost, mm-hmm. he couldn't be Mr. Perfect anymore because he'd lost. That's why I remember seeing Kurt Henning and um, Hulk Hogan, a WWF show at the St. Paul City <laughs> Center. And I, I think like he won, he lost by count out. And I'm like, oh, there it is. Can't be Mr. Perfect anymore. And then he was Mr. I'm like, he's not perfect anymore. He lost. And Chris, then I never understood that. Chris, did Kurt explain why he lost? No. <laughs> okay. So he didn't explain why he lost. So okay. as far as I'm concerned, yeah. Maybe it was an apparition. Maybe it, it never happened. Maybe you, as a wrestling fan, hating Kurt Hennig so much, <laughs> probably envisioned this loss in the ring. But mm-hmm. if Kurt never said he lost and he was still perfect, I... I How about WrestleMania six against Brutus the Barter Beefcake, okay? Huh? Huh? Did that not happen? Whatever Kurt says, whatever <laughs> Kurt said, I'm going along with. Uh, I have no reason to doubt Kurt Hennig. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I do have to say this. In my opinion, God, we love Kurt. Oh, he's so good. In my opinion, the Mister Perfect gimmick was the perfect gimmick for the right guy. It yes. was just if you knew Kurt behind the scenes, his Mister Perfect gimmick was not a gimmick. That's the way Kurt presented himself. It yeah. just was. He carried this aura about him that he was larger than life. And I loved every second of it, even every single rib that he pulled on anybody, anywhere, at any time. That was just Kurt Henning. He was the he was the perfect ribber. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. It was great. One of the all-time greats and and what a what a guy, what a family. What a family. Uh, This is for uh, you guys. Was there ever a plan or thought in the late 80s to put the AWA belt on Sergeant Slaughter? This is from uh, Russ Schoberg. Joe, you would probably know a little bit better than I would. I I guess my initial thought was maybe if if Larry Zabisco wasn't in the mix, you know, as as Vern's son-in-law at the time, they did give Sarge the America's title um, for whatever, you know, that was worth that short lived uh, back and forth with Larry Zabisco. Sarge was one of the only big, big stars remaining in the AWA towards the end of their run there. But I personally never heard anything about giving him a, an AWA heavyweight championship run. <clears throat> there was never any intention to give Sarge the, uh, the, the belt by that point in the late eighties when Zabisco got the strap. Uh, yeah, granted it was now Vern's son-in-law at the time, but Vern had experienced so much trauma, shall we say from previous champions, um, running over the belt and mailing it back to him, AKA Stan Hansen, um, Kurt Henning, uh, leaving for the WWF at the time. Um, although Kurt was under contract here, he was uh, 
Vern's first and to my best of my knowledge, only guarantee that Vern provided. Uh, Kurt lived it out. But then after that, Vern was like, okay, who the hell can I make sure I can keep the belt on and they're not going to screw this up? Well, it was naturally Larry Zabisco. So no to Sergeant Slaughter. All right. All right. Let's say, you know, let's, uh, I'm, I'm going to, because you guys talked about the, uh, the, the Stan Hansen thing, I'm going to go down to that and, and find the, uh, the question here. I'm, I'm just, um, looking for it here. Uh, where was it? It was, it was essentially, and I want to make sure that I get uh, number, it here. I think it's question 22 near the bottom. From Jim Forrester, did Vern and Stan Hansen ever reconcile? Yes, that's yeah, that's it. I I couldn't find it, but thank you, Joe, for uh, for sure. pulling that out. Okay, have you got that that uh, photograph uh, there, Chris? Yes, I I believe that I I believe that because I mean once you once you started talking about it, I felt like it was probably only right to to go straight to this question. I know that I saw Vern and Stan Hansen in the same room at Cauliflower Alley Club. I love this picture. It's great. Isn't it great? Uh, I, I believe what's happening there, Vern is saying, give that thing back to me. And Stan is saying, I want to polish it up real nice and shine it. And then I will send it back to you in better condition than it's, than it's in now. <laughs> uh, I, I believe that's what Stan said. Um, no, to my knowledge, they there was never a reconciliation. Um Stan had his side of the story that he continues to tell, plausible. Uh, you know, we don't know what was going on in Vern's head at the time, but uh, when I saw them at the uh, at Cauliflower Alley, they were on opposite ends of the room, and it stayed that way. Well, I did interview Stan Hansen for uh, Power Town, uh, with Power Town Wrestling, which I'm involved with. And uh, reconciliation might be a little bit strong, but I can say that uh, in Stan's words, he just said that, yes, yeah, probably something that I that I shouldn't have done. But, you know, he and Greg talk now and water under the bridge. I mean, there's some peace there, but that's with Greg, not with Vern. I'm sure Vern is still going, oh, geez, <laughs> another one that cost me millions of dollars. But that's, that's uh, right. I wasn't the only one. That's right. <laughs> We yeah. all cost them millions of dollars, we did. Mark. We did. All right, uh, let's go to the uh, the next one here, guys. And I know we've still got a bunch of questions, and no matter how fast we try and go, I don't want to short any of these questions. So we've got more. We'll continue to roll them over. Uh, you can continue to send them to us, awamleashpodcast at gmail.com. So uh, I know that we're like, okay, let's buzz through them. We can't buzz through them. It's just not. It, it's not how we do. I mean, let's just Good. be honest. Good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is for um, for you, Mick, about Billy Robinson making his entrance into AWA on TV when he wrestled and defeated a Japanese wrestler. Uh, he was managed by Big K. Uh, this is from Randall Alberti from Ottawa, uh, Canada. Uh, here, Billy Robinson was not uh, real friendly to a lot of wrestlers and in some cases downright cruel. Uh, was that true or was that just a, a vicious rumor? Wasn't a vicious rumor. Uh, wasn't even a mild rumor. Um, Billy Robinson, uh, for all his technical skills, and there weren't too many that were much better than Billy, um, he had, you talk about an edge and an attitude, uh, some would say Billy was a bully. Um, 
if he liked you enough, like he did Nick Bockwinkle, uh, he would work stiff, but he would work with you. Uh, if you did not work with Billy Robinson well, uh, if he didn't like the way you were not selling for him or whatever it might be, uh, he made you pay. I know that at uh, Vern's training camp, the late Buddy Rose, Paul Pershman told me, you know, I, I told this story before, uh, when, when Persh was training, he and Billy went into a collar-to-elbow hookup in the middle of the ring. Ber uh, Billy was one of Vern's trainers, and Billy basically said, all right, you son of a bitch, now move me. And for the next 40 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever it was, uh, Paul tried to move Billy Robinson, who stood his ground, and Paul wound up puking all over the mat while Billy Robinson was calling him a, a name and doing uh, jumping jacks over in the corner. So uh, Billy Robinson, again, one of the most talented wrestlers in the world, but I have heard from more than one in the business, so it's not just speculation. I wasn't always a nice guy. I heard the exact same thing, and uh, there, there's a story that I'm not going to share here. Again, we'll save that for an after dark. Um, about some of his outside of the ring shenanigans that uh, uh, would end up costing him uh, dearly um, later on. But uh, no, he was not a favorite in the locker room. All right, let's go to the uh, the next one from Fred Stutgen. Uh, hopefully I pronounced that right, Fred. Uh, this is for you, Mick. He finally got a chance to see the original movie called The Wrestler produced by Vern Gagne, not the one with uh, Mickey Rourke. What are your memories of the film when it came out? It was a big deal uh, here in the Twin Cities when it came out. Uh, they did a big premiere at the, uh, I believe it was the Man Southtown Theater. They brought in the wrestlers that starred in the movie. They brought in Ed Asner and, you know, had uh, Mel Jazz from WTCN TV was there hosting it. What I remember specifically, because I went to a couple of the TV, uh, of the tapings, as they were shooting at the old St. Paul Auditorium. Uh, what I remember is that uh, there was one match where Vern was wrestling Nick Bockwinkle, and Vern hit Nick with a drop kick and knocked him out. I mean, this is legit. This is as you're making a movie. Uh, he knocked Nick out, and for one of the few times in his career, Nick was unable, I believe, to make his next couple of dates uh, while he was recovering it, so he was obviously concussed. Um, the wrestler on a national scale did not do very well financially, and a lot of people say that was kind of when Vern started. His personality shifted a little bit. Uh, he was very angry over the lack of success on a national scale. He figured it would do much better, and it didn't. This was going to be the launching point for the AWA to, to be that national promotion? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just kind of – and it legitimized the business. This is, mm, this is okay. one thing, the big difference between the Mickey Rourke and then wrestlers, as you've seen on TV, on cable. Nothing mm -hmm. was exposed. And uh, this was an entirely a kayfabe production. Uh, Vern was the uh, aging champion. Billy Robinson as Billy Taylor was his number one contender, and it was totally legit. And uh, so times have certainly changed, but uh, very memorable indeed. And I love it. If you get a chance to see this movie and see the old footage of the guys back then, whether it's Bachwinkle, uh, a young Ric Flair, a young Jim Brunzel, whatever, 
crusher and bruiser. Mm -hmm. It is well worth it. Even though Ed Asner, one of the stars, says it was not released to film, it escaped. <laughs> it's a great nostalgia. See it. Oh, I love it. I was waiting for some for Joe. Other than the sigh, I was waiting for I was waiting for some snarky comment. No Joe snarky comment. Just real quick, my memory is Vern was so disappointed, and uh, he used to bitch to me about the movie The Wrestler because he was supposed to get a percentage of the gross. Well, as Vern learned in Hollywood. You can itemize and deduct and put expenses on everything so that you show a zero bottom line or a negative bottom line. <laughs> what's zero per, what's zero percent of zero? Exactly. And Vern just, uh, he, oh, he used to just bitch about that. <laughs> F Hollywood, he would tell me. <laughs> Referee Greg Westman. Uh, was portrayed by Greg Gagne in the film. And, of course, our friend Jumpin' Joe Scarpello met his death, his demise in the film, courtesy of a Ray Stevens bombs away uh, from the top rope. Great, great stuff. Got a, a couple, <laughs> got a couple more here, guys, before we, uh, we wrap it up. Uh, this one is for me. I mentioned on previous shows I'm a big fan of the Long Riders. Yes, I was. Uh, sadly, Scott Irwin is no longer with us. Would it be possible to get Wild Bill on the show? Uh, he's from his neck of the woods in Duluth. That's from uh, Clint Mitcam. I would love to get Bill Irwin on. Uh, I know that Mick, uh, you've talked to him, or uh, I, uh, Joe, you've talked to him. I can't, but one of you two talked to him, and we were okay, you did. I know you, you both have so many friggin' contacts in the business. I'm like, I'm, I don't know, Joe talked to this person, you know, you're a Oh, hold on. No, there's the name dropping from both of you guys. I had to, I had to pick him up because you keep dropping him. Well done. But it, I, I would love to. I know that we've talked to him. It's just a matter, again, of just working out the analytics and the particulars and, and you know, trying to get it all lined up. But I, I know that you've talked to him, and I think it would be fun because I think there's a lot to unpack there. We're going to get Bill on the show. He's expressed interest, and, again, it's a matter of timing. And uh, great, great guy, great professional in the ring, great guy outside of the ring. And uh, Wild Bill Irwin will definitely look at that. Holy, that, that, that is obviously uh, pre long rider. That's uh, not wild, wild at all. That's more of a that's the, the, that's flamboyant, Bill. Yeah, Irwin. that's flamboyant, Bill. Yeah, would he go by uh, William? There? He's uh, he, he's a hell of a guy, and he'll have the stories so. He's hey, rocking that '80s heavy metal hairdo, there, isn't, isn't he? Isn't that something? Yeah. yeah Look at I, that. I feel like I gotta play some Quiet Riot while I watch that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you Come go. On, feel the noise, Chris. There you go. <laughs> hey, girls, rock your boys. Oh, let's get wild, oh. wild, 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 wild. What do you? Okay. Let's uh, uh, this uh, next one. You know, let's wrap up on this one, then, guys. Uh, this is for you, Joe. Uh, he was shocked. This is from Hank Nowling. Uh, I was shocked to hear that you said that Crusher was more of a wine connoisseur than a beer drinker, especially being from Milwaukee. Do you know this for a fact? No. So let me let me clarify and why I made that statement. First of all, when I that's bl that's blasphemous. If you're if you're saying the Crusher is not a beer drinker, that's uh, that, that's that's a road you can't come back from. 
Well, and that's why I'm going to, you know, what I was going to say or what I am going to say is when I first heard it or saw it, and I believe I might have gotten the information off of uh, the Crusher statue page on Facebook, or I, I read it someplace. No, yeah, oh, yeah, because 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 Facebook is is fact. Well, and I was going to say I'm not believing everything on social media. The fact that <laughs> that it even was brought that that I read it. If it's on the internet, um, it's got to be true. It was, well, yeah, but it, it it wrecked every illusion that I had. Um, but I was able to semi confirm that with Al Darusha. You know, and that Crusher wasn't the all-out barroom brawling beer drinking guy that was portrayed on camera but that his preference was to have a little sip of wine now whether it's true or not doesn't matter doesn't matter if, he's still a, a crusher um to me plain and simple no doubt no doubt about it at all so he wouldn't crush a can of beer but he would uh, very eloquently Sip on a uh, on a glass of wine. Are you going to argue with them? No, 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 no. Get that bolo punch, hundred megaton one on it. Worst finisher in the history of the business. I'm gonna. Hey, I might even throw in Hogan's leg drop on top of it as well. I mean, yep, yep. But no, I I agree. My favorite wrestler of all time. But that bolo punch. Come on. Awful. Uh, let's uh, let's wrap up with this one here, guys. And we do have more. You know, maybe we'll do another one in a few weeks. Uh, we'll kind of. I, I know we've got one that we want to do. Uh, we'll tell you about that here in a minute. But this one is for you, Mick. I heard from a reliable source that Vern Gagne was kind of a mob boss, and the Crusher would collect for him. Now, this is from Daniel. Um, <laughs> So, Vern, the mob boss, Crusher as the muscle. Speaking of hearing shit off of the internet. Confirm or deny? Well, here's the thing. First of all, I I, uh, got that question via email from Daniel, and I have mercifully left Daniel's uh, last name off. Um, I get questions like that. And uh, so, Vern, the mob boss, and Crusher, the... uh, no, these two guys right here, Fuzzy Cupid and Sky Low Low, were actually Vern's hitmen uh, back in the day, especially in the days when the when the AWA's houses were. They can really cap some knees. Yeah, exactly. Uh, when the AWA's uh, houses were a little bit smaller, Vern didn't need to rely on the big muscle, so he went with a Fuzzy Cupid. And Sky Lolo, no, that is not Billy Gunn and Baron Von Raschke in kindergarten. Uh, but they were they were actually Vern's hitman uh, towards the end of the AWA. Do you believe we get questioned? What the shit? I- <laughs> how, did you, how, how did you, what, what were they? Were they hitmen? They were hitmen. Oh, there it goes. It's over. Run it all Fuzzy Cupid. You've had a couple of Fuzzy Cupids over the years, haven't you, Joe? I'm still trying to get over the question. I, no question is too dumb. I'll, get, you know, I'll, I'll so, say that. So send in whatever questions you want. But no, Crusher was not Vern Gagne's hitman. 
Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate oh, it. Man. I love it. Uh, thank, we need thanks to, for the chuckle. We need to do a show where it's like wrong answers only. That's what we need. We need. I twice. thought we did that every week. Well, that's true. That's you true. Know. That's true. <laughs> hey, hey, let's, uh, let's wrap it up with some shout outs and then we'll tell you about next week's show. And maybe we'll come back to a QA in a, in a couple of weeks because um, I'll be on right now. My shoot job, my schedule. It's a little crazy with uh, Major League Baseball and whatnot. And by the time this is aired, I mean, who the hell knows what's going on? But um, yeah, let's get to some shout outs. And then we've got an idea for a show I want to throw past you guys and, and uh, see if we're see if we're all in. So, uh, Mick, why don't you go first? I want to give a shout out to a former broadcast colleague of mine, the first lady of professional wrestling back in the day. She is a Facebook friend and a fan of the podcast and a fan of the uh Slick Mick page, Missy Hyatt. Uh, God bless Missy. She still looks great. She's still making appearances at conventions, and she's gotten into the ring most recently, once again, after all these years. So, hello to you, Missy. Holy shit. M- Missy Hyatt listens to the podcast? Yeah. Oh, I think okay. she tunes in just to see Chris. Oh, my God. Well, now I'm, now I'm. Forget it. I'm a little... Forget it. Oh, shit. Put it okay. out of your mind. Put it out of your head. You need 30 seconds alone, Chris, or what? Mm, I'm good. Okay. Wow. My shout-out goes to Joe Dombrowski. I was able to work with him uh, about a year ago. Joe is a, uh, a play-by-play announcer for some indie leagues. Uh, he's been sending some clips uh, to my Facebook page about uh, Polish Joe. And the last one was me throwing ninja stars at Larry Nelson. And I swear, I swear that felt like it was about six months ago and not, I guess, 38, well, be about 37 years ago when we did superstars. But damn, thanks for those memories, Joe. And thanks for watching. Super ninja stars. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. And uh, I'm going to go to our Facebook page uh, moderators, Brandon Dak, Brian Huff, and Jeremy Chura. Without these guys, a lot of it honestly wouldn't be possible. So we give them some grief, but we love them. They're the ones that came up with the idea. If you're not on our AWA Unleashed fans uh, podcast Facebook page, just be sure to subscribe because we put you know some exclusive things on there, and, and uh, we like to have some fun. So I want to thank everybody for, uh, for listening. And here's what I want to do next week, guys. Um, I know, Mick, that you put a post on your page just about how people have a tendency to criticize certain companies and the way the, the business is nowadays. What do you guys think about kind of doing something a little off the beaten path and really talk about the new school criticism compared to the old school and the things that, that we cover here? Is is that something that you guys would be interested in? in I don't know. We can kind of kick around some ideas, but is, is that something you think has some legs? I, I'm, I'm ready. Uh, I mean, I, I am really ready. The differences in the business, Chris and Joe, you know, from today and, and going back, it's night and day. It's not, it's not the same wrestling business at all. But all of a sudden, everybody and their brother has become a critic of everything uh, in professional wrestling on the Internet. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it because I – Personally, I, you know, enough of the bullshit. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, I mean, it's not really AWA specific, but I feel like 
it's a conversation that fans of any era are having. I feel like it's a it's a very broad conversation that I feel like we can have here on the pod. No question. Yo. I love it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Got plenty of uh, of opinions on that one, which, you know, that, might, that whole show might be opinions, but maybe we can shed some light and uh, get people to stop and just enjoy. Quit bitching and just enjoy. Imagine that. Yeah. Easier, easier said than done, though. You know, people, everybody's, everybody's an expert on everything. You notice that? Yep. 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 No, no question about it. We'll uh, we'll have our say. Okay, that's cool. 